This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. And the race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi Williams. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Up later on the show, we sit down with Hank Ratner, the former CEO of Madison Square Garden and founder of Ratner Ventures. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, Mr. Novi Williams, let's take a look at some of the top stories of the week, beginning and ending (laughs) stories one, two, three, down to ten. The National Basketball Association suspending its season after the nightmare scenario becomes reality and a player, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz, test positive for coronavirus. Yeah, the the entire sports world in, in a span of what felt like 24 hours of rushes of news uh, has seems to have finally woken up that, you know, the games can't go on as normal and that is everything from maybe hosting events without fans as a number of sports entities are doing, canceling events as as the NBA was was the first to do on such a, a such a wide scale. Um and again as we've been talking about over the you know the past couple of weeks on this podcast it, it still feels like we are in kind of the very early stages of how deep the impact on on the US sports world, you know, let alone the global sports world is because of the uh the spread of the virus. Now you and I have been talking of course throughout the week uh, sitting next to each other every time we see a bit of news coming in and I sent you and I don't want to pick on monumental sports and Ted mm. Leonsis, you know, friends of the show, great owners, but they put out that press release that said like in gra- paragraph 3 of the release it was like the health officials recommend no large gatherings. And then paragraph 4 said we are going to go ahead and and play. I, I do hope that we don't, you know, in two or three weeks, look back on this week and think, man, everybody should have acted two Way weeks two, sooner. Two weeks yeah. sooner. You know, you're right. And and the you know the 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 Washington teams are not alone. We were in this period. Right. I don't want to pick on them. Everybody was saying the same where thing. Where health officials and governments were saying large crowds should not be gathering. I'm recommending. I'm asking that crowds of more than a thousand not happen. And sports teams. Minutes or hours later, we're, we're putting out releases saying we, we understand the concerns, but for now, fans will be allowed into the arena. The Golden State Warriors had to be forced to agree to play games with no fans. And yes. obviously that never happened, but they had to be forced to do it. And, and in some ways, kudos to the NBA for being the first league to at least recognize, I think, the severity of well, where, where things are. But, so. Can I can but, I speculate? Where yes. would they have been had Rudy Gobert not tested positive and... And we just move forward with the plans of let's play in empty arenas. I mean, it seemed like that's where it was headed. Yes, Most owners wanted that. I think that. it would have been some period of time where games happen without fans, and then inevitably something was going to happen, whether it was a player testing positive or a referee testing po- positive, that was going to throw the whole thing, you know, out of whack. And this is, you know, other leagues are going to have to follow the NBA's lead because of this scenario, right? In the in the fourteen days before Rudy Gobert took took the court on Wednesday night. He played six games against six other teams. He, the referees from those games, work fly around the country. They work tons of other games. Uh, just the web of people around the NBA. He touched his own teammates, 
opposing opposing players, referees, fans, team personnel. They go out. It, it just spreads around so quickly. How about the worst part of it? Remember the way that this one of the first actions the league took was to separate players from the media to close off the locker room to anyone not closely associated with, associated mm-hmm. with the team. So I guess the media sessions were happening at a six to eight foot distance. And it was, of course, just in the worst case scenario, I guess Rudy Gobert, in a show of solidarity for the media, was trying to make a point or a joke. And he touched every single tape recorder that was put before him that day. You, I mean, you could not write that. You could not have scripted that. You could not write that. Write that script. Um and yes, that just, I mean that. Imagine if one of those re- reporters gets it right. The the you we haven't talked. You touch your face. We Done. haven't talked much about kind of all the legal questions surrounding this, but I'm sure. And the NBA, Adam Silver, the owners are. Every league is as well. You know, are what are we liable for? You know, what happens when you know the the way epidemiologists kind of trace a lot of these outbreaks? They sometimes do a very good job of determining. You know where. Someone got something. What's Patient the common, what's the common yeah. thread, et cetera? Uh, if it does come down that a sporting event or, you know, let alone a, a, a player could have been patient zero for, for something like that, that is that is the absolute, absolute worst nightmare. You know what I get a lot of these days? Don't they have insurance? I get Everybody yeah. says that. So, you know, we dug around into the labor contract. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the better case scenario might be no games. For the NBA, because uh, a force majeure contract in the labor deal that was inserted after 9-11 covers things like hurricanes and explosions, but specifically also includes epidemics. Mm -hmm. So you'd think that that comes into play here. And all of the players for games that for each game that is docked, they lose about 1% of their salary. So the players, the biggest expense that owners have are the player contracts. That's taken care of. By the way, kudos to you. I mean, you wrote that story a week ago, and I feel like when it when it came out, a lot of people were thinking, "Man, we're already talking. Why are we talking about NBA canceling games? We're not even close to that yet, you know." And, and fast forward a week, suddenly all the games are are, are postponed. Uh, and you're right, you know, this is gonna this is gonna affect TV know, contracts, everything, yeah, stadium so, lease agreements, mm-hmm. sponsorship. Yeah, this this the, one is you have to. What you're hoping here is that your longstanding relationships hold strong, and that you figure out a way to help each other out. Yes. Um, and kudos, by the way, to, to Mark Cuban. I thought he did, yeah. you know, in in the literally the moments after he found out, didn't have advance warning because there's video of him getting the email, the moments after he found out that the league was suspending operations uh, for at least two weeks, he went right on ESPN. I, I thought he did a very good job kind of elucidating how important other things were besides basketball and his comments about the hourly wage workers. I thought all that was great. All right, Eben, let's turn to U.S. soccer, which put a giant cleat in its mouth in a legal filing. Yeah, I think this would be a, a massive story if there was not one yeah. much, much bigger story happening right now uh, in sports business. The, the ongoing saga right now between the women's national soccer team and U.S. soccer over equal pay uh, got a bit uglier this week and in a new filing. U.S. soccer you know, kind of clarified its arguments that it's made you know, for a while now. Uh, trying to make the, the case that the, the men's national team and women's national team are paid differently because they have fundamentally different jobs. And Even though, th- by the way, the mission statement of U.S. soccer is pretty is clear. Same. It's just to yeah. grow the game of soccer. <laughs> exactly. um, 
one of the arguments they made, or a few of the arguments they made, is that the men's game is a higher level of soccer. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Uh, but that, you know, the game is more intense, the opponents are better, and as a result, it's a different job. They need more skill. They also uh, they also argue that the, the crowds that, that, that the U.S. men's team plays in front of are often more hostile than the women's uh, women's crowds. And as a result, again, you know, pay should be different. Uh, and that is a it's a tough argument to make. And the sponsors, which you almost never see. I, I'm sponsors curious. are loath to come out publicly and criticize the, the properties that they're partnered with. Um, and if they do, it's something so, so egregious they'll come out together. But man. Yeah, here's, here's what Coke said. Extremely disappointed with the unacceptable and offensive comments. We've asked to meet with them immediately to express our concerns. And Coke is not alone here. There's a number of others. Deloitte uh, was out there. I think there was Visa. Visa. Um, a lot of people jumped immediately. Also, did you see the, the player response to this? Yes. <laughs> this this rid- ridiculous argument yeah. belongs in the Paleolithic era. It sounds as if man. it has been made by a caveman. Yeah, give me the caveman line. Yeah. That is uh, that that is uh, that that that's strong. Uh, I, and- I like the women posting uh, videos of different shots, goals, things that happen, and and all just kind of referencing the comment. Yep, no skill here. Yep, yep. no no, no nothing here. Did you see what they did with their with their warm up uniforms? Is it four stars? On, on the way out? Yeah. So they 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 essentially, I, I guess they they scratched off or removed the U.S. soccer crest. Yeah. Uh, so it was just kind of a blank patch, but left the four stars, which you know, for folks who don't know, you put a star in your uniform for every World Cup you win. They left those up there to make how it many how many stars do the men have. Uh, <laughs> a little less than four. Uh, uh, no, no stars. Um, but, you know, this is, again, I think it would be a bigger story if, if there wasn't other stuff going on. Carlos Cordero, the relatively newish head of U.S. soccer, you know, people are calling for him to step down. He issued the apology that you were mentioning, essentially said he was embarrassed that they had, they had made that Did argument. Did nobody proofread? Was this done by an in-house counsel, by outside counsel? Like, come on. Did yes. you not think that people would read this and think it was utterly absurd, especially exactly. sponsors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sponsors who have been so vocal recently about how much they appreciate what the women's team has done on the field, off the field, the, the growth areas they see in women's sports. Um, yes, this is a it's a tone deaf. It is if you're, yeah, imagine it's if you're utilizing things. the women's team uh, as a sponsor, as a vehicle of female empowerment. My lord, yeah. you better speak up loud and clear. These the, are your customers. Imagine if Visa didn't cut up the card. Yeah, I can drink Pepsi. Forget it. I don't need Coke. You better be aligned with the morals of the women on the team. Agreed. Uh, and the, the trial here begins May fifth. Uh, I would imagine this doesn't necessarily help. It doesn't probably doesn't hurt too much, but I'm sure it does not help U.S. soccer's argument uh, when that trial actually kicks off. All right, let's move on. Name, image, and likeness. Big news in college sports. Seems like Nebraska is trying to get a head start on perhaps helping its athletes take advantage. Yeah, I kind of like this story. I mean, the, the the college world is chipping away at this idea that at some point very soon, and, and who knows how soon that is, college athletes are going to be able to market themselves and to sign contracts and get paid uh, for endorsements, etc. Uh, and Nebraska is taking it a step further than I think any other any other uh, athletic department out there right now, they signed this partnership, as you said, uh, with Open Doors. Open Doors is a company that works with... By the way, the- I said it off the air, yeah. so... No. <laughs> <laughs> we have to better tell everybody, as I said earlier. The company is is Open Doors. Uh, it's actually founded by a former uh, Nebraska Cornhusker football player, so there's obviously some synergy there. I believe they're based in Nebraska also. Uh, but what they do is they work with professional athletes, one, in helping them kind of curate their social media presence and give them advice on 
how to draw more fans, how to be more impactful. Uh, and then the second thing they do is they connect brands and athletes. So oftentimes I'll pick a random athlete, but if you see Rob Gronkowski posting something about Tide, right, there's a good chance that Rob Gronkowski got paid a lot of money to do that. And Open Doors was the medium through which, you know, they connected Tide to Rob and said, listen, if you tweet this, we'll give you $250,000. And he tweets it. And, and that's the that's the thing there. So if, if the change is coming, you might as well be prepared to take advantage and make exactly. a few bucks off of it. So that second thing is not going to happen for Nebraska athletes yet. It could happen in the future. If, uh, if name, image, and likeness passes and players are allowed to do this, you could certainly see a local Omaha or See, Lincoln. I go strong on, yeah, yeah, I go strong on local on this because Absolutely. you and I have discussed this. Realistically, how many athletes are in line for big paydays off of this? Like, and the one we always go back to when he was in college was Johnny Manziel. Mm-hmm. Like Johnny was a huge national name uh, with national relevance and significance uh, on a team that ha- had gotten plenty of exposure which are the ingredients you need, but I just can't think of too many other athletes, even in, at the biggest universities, whether we're talking Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, USC, whatever, that have that kind of national presence. So it's going to be more of that regional, local deal. Without question. And Nebraska has 650 uh, student-athletes at a certain point, right? All of them are going to have access to Open Doors. You know, it will give them advice on... Things they're posting that are doing well, things they're not doing well, things they could be doing differently. Uh, it's not a, it's a service that is you know not unlike influencer, which we've talked about. And shout out to Jim Cavalli out there that the stuff they're doing is is great as well. Um, but yes, there is this groundswell right now about supporting student athletes, helping them grow their own brands, eventually helping them profit off their own brands. And this is a nice step in the right direction for Nebraska. Uh, you know who has got a pretty good brand? Hmm. You know where I'm going with this? I don't know where you're going. Segway, Roger oh. Federer. Very good brand. He's got a very good brand. You know what <laughs> he did. You know what he didn't have. Uh, yes, I do know uh, the logo. He didn't have a logo. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know what he has now. Uh, does he have the logo? He's got a logo. Oh, I nailed it. I mean, this was a what a, about a two year fight with Nike. Roger used to be a, a Nike athlete, mm-hmm. and they owned uh, as as a trademark the RF insignia that he had on his hats and his clothing. Um, I mean, that's kind of a prestigious marquee premium brand uh and now roger when he left for uniglo the brand stayed with nike now through the magic of trademark negotiation roger federer is once again the proud owner of the rf logo yeah it's funny it made me think of uh Kawhi leonard right who was going through kind of a yeah. similar process right he left nike he it's unclear who owns the the right to his to his logo as well um, yeah, I would love to know the financial details of how Roger Federer managed to unwind this thing. This should never happen again, by the way. Yes, I agreed. I mean, I think it, if for athletes who are signing future endorsement deals that are going to include their own brand and their own logo, would like to think that they would maybe put in some protections that say, you know, if you leave, you know, that, that brand comes with me. You got that right. Today, we're speaking with Hank Ratner, the former CEO of Madison Square Garden and the founder of Ratner Ventures. Hello, Mr. Hank. Hey, Scott. How are you? Ratner Ventures. I like the sound of that. When one leaves the harsh and bright spotlight of a position like the CEO of Madison Square Garden, I'm sure there are plenty who would like to pick your brain, your Rolodex, your your, your everything. Tell us about what you started and what the mission is. Well, my mission was to look for benefit companies in which I could benefit because of the experience I had 30 years back at, whether it was MSG, AMC, or Cablevision. 
Um, and there, there are a lot of sports and entertainment properties there. So I've looked to invest and sit on boards and participate in the growth of properties that I think really could step it up dramatically. And those are in which areas? What do you look at? I'm going to guess, and I know some of the things you've done, but gaming, tech, digital, that's, that's what we hear. That's where everybody's looking at putting their money because they see the synergies with sports. Well, you know, they all sort of come together because all sports essentially is creating the content. And then the question is, how do you go distribute that content? And, and that's when digital and so where, gaming where's comes the into power? the power? And, and this, this debate has been going on. Where's the power, the content creator or the distribution channel? Well, it's pretty interesting now. But to me, it's always been about the content creation. It's about ultimately who owns it and who owns the copyright and how it could be exploited. And the more distribution platforms that exist, the more lucrative it is to be the content owner. Do the true geniuses have them both? They create the content. If I'm Netflix, I'm creating my own original shows and I'm the distribution channel as well. Well, that's where we see the true geniuses are, are looking to go now. I mean, back if you looked at the history of cable, those who had the distribution also were those who went and started creating more of the content, as you saw with Cablevision and AMC yep. Networks. You know, and, and you go look and you see TCI created Liberty, um, and you go down throughout that and you see it's those who held the distribution. And at that time, they really created the content more so to be able to add the customers to the distribution. Now there's a lot of content, there's all the distribution, and the distribution is ferociously looking for content to win those subscribers. Within the context of this conversation, I'm curious your thoughts on the NBA right now as a as a viewing property. You know, ratings are are down a little bit. It seems to me from where I sit that a lot of the great NBA content The Millennials there, big on this one by the way. I knew this was coming, it, Hank. A lot of the great NBA content out there is not being created by the NBA. You know, it's being created by, you know, digital media companies that are doing much shorter short form whether it's on Twitter or social media or even on YouTube, etc. Um is there? What do you think about where the NBA is right now as a, as a digital property? I'm going to guess that Hank does not have a TikTok channel. I'm just <laughs> going to guess. I, do, not, 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 not I'm going to guess, but it's super popular with the kids. Uh, I I understand. But, <laughs> you know, I I I think those shows wouldn't exist without the popularity of the NBA. For sure. So you have to come back to the mothership. And I think nobody has shown greater stewardship to it than Adam and David preceding him. Uh, the popularity of the NBA over the past few decades has just skyrocketed. First-class entertainment, first-class production, first-class storytelling. And through that, all those other opportunities for more short-form, millennial-based product gets created. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it all starts and goes back to that mothership. Is it a problem for the NBA if they can't monetize a lot of the most popular versions of their of their product? You know, that if I'm an NBA fan and I'm not watching NBA games, but I'm consuming, you know, what the Ringer is putting out on a weekly basis about the NBA, that's a I'm, I'm a fan that isn't being monetized in the way that, say, the NFL where everybody just wants to watch live games, it's much easier for the NFL there to get money out of their fans that way. Well, I I just challenge, though, your initial premise, Mm -hmm. because if the ringer is talking about the NBA and they're profiting and making money from that, that that inures to the benefit of the NBA because it just creates more interest there. It's amazing marketing and promotional platforms that the NBA aren't paying for. So I agree. I think there's all sorts of ancillary product. Also, the players themselves and the expansion of their marketing rights and the players' unions. Um, 
You know, it, it, it's just a, a fabulous sport, and you'll we'll continue to see more content and more production created that's either right in the NBA or that directly benefits the NBA. Is the key the ability to scale all of these things you're talking about, all of these offerings, if they're only available to a finite number of, if you wanted to say, Americans within the border, but David coined that term, basketball without borders. It's the business of basketball without borders, too. The ability to send and beam and and have people log on and, and give me your password, give me your data. You can do this on the global basis. That, that world is flat. Certainly enough eyeballs to figure out how to monetize. Uh, it's, it's all about scale. I mean, you, you can take a podcast, for instance. How was it going to get distributed back in the old days? And you needed to get critical mass and you needed to get enough people to be able to support yourself to be on radio or to be on a cable network, regional or national, much less global. Now there's enough niche people out there who you can reach globally that so much more content can be created because it can be monetized in ways that it never could have before. What worries you if you were, again, let's say with your former hat, what would worry you about pro sports? I mean, for me, I'm thinking you've got this epidemic. Who, What can you do? Who sees it coming? You've got geopolitical unrest, and I'm losing hundreds of millions of dollars in China because of a tweet. I, I'm concerned about these things that are so far out of my control that I can't possibly plan for them. That's right. I mean, that's the world we live in today. And you've named them, and they're all true, and they're taking place now. So you have to be as smart as you can, plan as best you can, monetize as best you can. But the one thing, you always have to keep your eye on the customer because it's always about the customer in the end. Hank, you just said it comes back to the customer. I'm not sure that many in sports covet the customer the way you just said it needs to happen. Some do, but I'm not sure that that customer or fan, I'd rather see them referred to as customers because then there's a certain deference you have to cater to them. I'm not sure I see it when I go. Do you regularly see it? Who does it well? Who gets it that you have to fight to keep get them, keep them, keep them coming back, renew them, keep them happy? I think that's pretty... Understood. I think if yeah. you went back years ago, I think it was less so understood. Really? But it, it, it's no different than in any other business. It's all about the customer. And you're right. Here it's about a fan. Usually don't talk about fan to you know, other type properties, but it's all about that customer thinking about the customer, providing the customer with the value that they want to receive, the entertainment value. And if you lose sight of that customer... It's a dangerous place to be. Eben and I like to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, how they seem to have really hit the right spot between an entire entertainment experience. Is the game, whether it be hockey, basketball, badminton, cricket, whatever, is the game enough these days? Is it enough, especially since you can't guarantee winning, and we know that cures a lot of ills. But if you can't guarantee winning, you better guarantee atmosphere and entertainment. So is the game enough? The game is only enough if your team is great and charismatic and if it's not which is usually the case yeah i was gonna say there aren't too many of those (laughs) it's 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 not enough because the one thing you can't as you said guarantee while you're sitting there trying to run an organization is that your team is going to make a competitive run for the championship but you know that you're going to have a lot of tickets to sell a lot of rating points to try and go gone on television and what you have to do is you have to put out an exceptional product on the court and off the court and everything matters. So when people come into the arena, 
Your in-game entertainment has to be great. Your, your digital board has to be great. Your food has to be great. Can I back you up one second? You started that with when you come into the arena. I would say even before that, ingress, getting into the arena. Absolutely. It, it, it's about it. the customer service experience from when you purchase the ticket to when you leave that night. And, and, and that's the big focus. But it's all of these things. But the one thing that cures all evils is really having an unbelievable, powerful, and championship team. But again, not everybody can be that big of a genius. It's, it's about planning for when your team isn't championship level and how you still provide, number one, great overall experience for your fans. The Chicago Bulls, as you well know, in the years after Michael Jordan, still played to pack houses. Credit to the Bulls in that they were mining customer data long before it was vogue to do so. But where are we with tech? How does tech help owners fans to create an experience whether at home in arena to really i would say amplify what sports is trying to do well the opportunity from tech so much is the data and and the data that can be watched and received and inform i mean you have feedback loops with customers that never existed before you have ways to contact customers in ways that never existed before. Are we talking about text messages? How, how do yeah, you... Yeah, I mean, everything from, from text messages to providing them, again, with updates, with including them in, in surveys and information when you're going to look to make decisions, making people feel thought, thought part of the process. I mean, remember, in sports, again... It, it's about the fandom and it's about community. Yeah, it's all about community. And it gives you the opportunity to create that and be part of that community. Are sports teams doing that well? You know, given how much, you know, business analytics and data all across the business world is being used, you know, kind of the way these sports teams operate better than most. Are, are sports teams on the cutting edge of how that gets word? Are they in the middle? Are they on the on the troglodyte end? Where, where would you put them? Uh, It's a huge area of concentration right now, and I think it has been for the past number of years. Did the sports teams lead it? You know, I I can't really speak to that, but I can tell you that it's of great importance to all sports teams. And, you know, the benefit when you play, um, when when you're an owner in a league, is the league often takes great leadership in helping owners know where the state of the technology Especially is and state the of the art and to do things best. And, you know, I can tell you the, the NBA really um, led in that degree. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to yeah, say, wait, I want to say two words and then let Evan take it because it, he's the guy. Sports betting. Well, that's exact, exact, exactly <laughs> where I, I looked at the go. time we had left and I know you. So I'm just going to say sports betting. Go, Evan. Well, yeah, I, we're talking about fan, you know, engagement, all those things. Almost every executive conversation I have in the sports world eventually works its way around to the opportunity uh, that, that legal sports betting is, is having and, and will have as more states come on board. How big a deal do you think that? I mean, it's there's a data piece to it, exactly to the conversation that we're having. There's also a TV viewership piece to it. There's a in-app piece to it. That, all the, it touches all these things. How big a deal do you think that is? Do you wish that, you know, that legal sports betting existed when you were running teams? Would that have made your job easier? I, I think it's a big deal. You know, anything, again, that provides more value to the consumer is a big deal. So if sports betting is something that enhances the game, that enhances the viewership proposition, creates more interaction with the fan base, that's, that, that's a great thing. And, and so, I, you know, I, I look at the, you know, you saw there was broadcast television and then cable television. It, it, it was an enhancement. 
I think the sports gambling creates the next level of increased viewership, despite you know the momentum from cutting the cord right now. But again, we still get back to viewership and whether they're watching it in a way that they can catch the ratings on on traditional media mm. or whether they're watching it. But the consumption of the product is greater than it's ever been, despite what ever ratings data might say. And I think this is the next level of bringing up that viewership to a new level. So we've been asking almost all of our guests the same question. When you're watching at home, are you a cable subscriber? Or have you cut the cord? What's, yeah, your, what's, your, what's setup? your setup? What's your setup in the living room? Well, having spent 30 years at cable vision and MSG, I am a d- devoted cable subscriber. I'll bet he gets there it for go. free. I'll bet he gets it for free. You don't pay a cable bill, do you? No comment. <laughs> Any OTT services? What do you, what do you stream into the house? Uh, we, we have Netflix. Okay. You know, we have the you know, traditional smart TV. We watch YouTube. I, I mean, do you think Netflix, Google... Will they be serious bidders for sports? I mean, Facebook has said no. Amazon is there on Thursday Night Football in this round, or are we perhaps another round of rights fee negotiations away from them being major exclusive package bidders? I, I think they get there. Okay. You know, if we again look at the history of television, new entrants come in. And they get there, and I, th- I think they get there. And it's a really interesting question, too, because we look and see traditional media's ratings are down, traditional media's advertising is down, but rights fees keep going up, not the way it usually works. And I don't think it's going to stop that way because there are so many people looking to consume product in different ways and slicing and dicing the rights in different ways that again, we're going to see viewership continue to grow. We're going to see consumption continue to grow. And despite the fact that some of the traditional metrics might be down, the overall is going to continue to grow and rights fees will still we'll rise. Let's, we'll let you out on this then. Is the value proposition, though, while perhaps a diminution in, we'll just use the overarching term of ratings, if there is a diminution in ratings, because of the data components that we've talked about and knowing your customer better and being able to reach them in different ways and maybe individually being able to target, advertise to them, has the value of the eyeball that you get gone up? Yes, because there are so many more ways to monetize than the traditional way of going broad and missing on most. Now you can go narrow, and you know what that that person wants, and you know what other products they want. So there's so much more ability to go and monetize customers in ways that never existed before. But Hank, you got to come back. I mean, we're done, but man... Like we could go for, well, there's so many topics we haven't touched on yet. One of these days, we got to get you back in here, okay? Excellent. Right, we love it. Thank you to Hank Ratner, the former CEO of Madison Square Garden, founder of Ratner Ventures. Thanks again, Hank. I always love chatting with Hank Ratner. You know, the guys who have been in those positions, you never know the perspective where they're coming from, but they see it from every angle. My takeaway, Eben, is back to the lemonade stand simplicity. And it should be day one of Harvard Business School and day two and every day, remind, remind, remind cater to the customer. Sometimes it's fans and it's lost on all of it. You think just we're staging the game, that's enough. And if we win, that's great. Uh Uh-uh. You have to do everything possible every time they step into your building or before they step into your building. And and I mentioned it to Hank. Ingress, egress. You have to make sure that the experience, the total experience of 
the evening or the afternoon, not just the game when the ball is bouncing or the puck is sliding. The total experience is a positive one. My takeaway, you know, Scott, I'm beginning to think that maybe I'm wrong about my thesis Whoa, about the NBA. Headline! <laughs> headline! Uh, Hank is just the latest person uh, to tell me to that, tell me you were wrong? That, 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 that he is you know, less concerned about the fact that you know, the NBA is, is very popular on a lot of media, you know, media platforms that it does not monetize as well as other leagues, uh, that that does not concern him about the long-term health of the league. Uh, and he, he's probably right. He knows this world better than I do. Um, but yes, you know, to his point, as he said, you know, even if, you know, it's quick Twitter, quick little highlights, et cetera, that, that is drawing people to the NBA, just the fact that they're talking about it helps the league, helps grow its popularity, will help it in its next media round of negotiations, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, good good to hear kind of a little rebuttal to, to something I've been stewing in my own brain for a bit. Good for you. I like when you admit you're wrong. That, that, that's, that's, <laughs> I said that's, I may be wrong. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I will tell you you are. That's good. I, I like to hear it. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, number of the week, $404,000. I know what this number is. That's because you pay attention when we speak. Read your stories. Yes, the four hundred four thousand dollars. That is roughly uh, what LeBron James makes uh, in a game check every year, right? So every every game this this season. So he's making thirty four, thirty seven million million dollars. You know, divide that by the the total number of regular season games, eighty two plus a couple of preseason games, the average of the of the postseason games as well. Ninety two point six. That's how they figured it out. Ninety two points. So NBA he, owners can dock. Each player, 192.6, not an easy thing to say, of their salary. Second number for of the each week, 92.6. Yeah, 92.6. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, you know, as we talk about the NBA suspending its season so far, the Lakers have 18 games left. You can do the math on that. $7 million, $8, you can $8 do the million dollars that. that LeBron James uh, could yeah. be out on if, if those games don't get replayed. Um, not not nothing. Guess, guessing LeBron will be okay, but you do have to wonder about the rank and file, who by normal standards are handsomely compensated, but still, you're losing that kind of money, uh, something that might uh, affect them adversely. Yeah, for sure. And I also wonder how many players are even aware that, that when a global pandemic happens and the league has to shut down uh, for, for health reasons, that, that that also hits their paycheck in, in such a direct way. It's about 20% of the, could be 20% of their, of their salary for the year. That, that, that's a tough one to lose. It's a fast-moving story. I've been. We'll see what plays out uh, in in the next week or so. You have been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. You've listened to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>